It's time for JT the Brick. I love my job. I love the opportunity that I can come in here and talk to the Raider Nation. Put some respect on JT the Brick's name. The plan was to get this roster with this new regime. They were not keeping this roster, my friend. Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels were not keeping the roster they inherited from Mayock and Gruden and before that. And there were going to be changes, and we told you. Are you with me on that? Excuses die. The record stands. JT the Brick. That's it. That's all we've been telling you all year if you've been listening. They have a plan. I'm not saying it's going to work. It's going to be 100%. But I'm behind the plan. The plan is to get it up to speed where it's really good for a long period of time. You are what your record is. Sound off like you got a pair. And now, JT, the man to miss the legend. Here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT, in studio with Bobby today, Wednesday, June 28th. Hasn't felt like summer in Vegas at all, and now it does. Here comes the sun, here comes the heat, here comes the, I wouldn't say extreme heat, but it's going to get hot, all the pool parties, all you guys and gals craving your pool parties, you're going to be okay now. Uh, Let's pray, let's get on our knees to Wet Republic and Tau and every other pool party here in town at Encore, everybody was worried about their pool parties, now you don't have to worry, 105 degrees, men and women, youngsters coming in from all over the world wanting to give their credit cards out and spend about five to $8,000 in bottle service, maybe catch a DJ, and none of them go to the tables. None of them go to the sports book. They're just there to be at the pool. Hallelujah. Pool season is here. Heading into the weekend, the long 4th of July weekend, too. If you're hitting the road, I'm getting out of town for a little bit, going to San Diego for a little bit, going to pop in and out here, and Bobby's going to man the ship, and we got some good programming lined up. And it's going to be exciting because after the 4th of July, it's heavier, heavier Raiders content as we count down to training camp, and we debut our new show, what we're going to be doing from about July 6th or 7th as we put it together till training camp as we're going to put together the Raiders all-time team on Raider Nation Radio. So again, this is not a Raiders event. This is not, you know, blessed by Mark Davis or the coach. It's going to be us. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. And I'll tell you a little bit more about it as it develops. I've talked to eight or nine people that I really value in the Raider Nation. And I'm going to be talking to more about their opinion on this concept. They all love it, but they're all confused because I'm confused. We don't know to put in players who've played for the Raiders on the all-time team, or do you have to be established as a Raider? You know that the best of the best years you were a Raider. I'm torn between that because there's guys like Jerry Rice and Warren Sapp. There's a lot of great players who are better than the great Raiders on the all-time team, some of them, but do you keep them in or not? We're trying to figure that out. What I think we're going to do is end up going with the greatest Raider team of all time, and you had to be defined by being a Raider. Okay, so it didn't mean you couldn't play for someone else. Ronnie Lott was a great Raider. He was, but Ronnie Lott was a legendary 49er. But I might put Ronnie Lott on my list. I I don't know how I leave him off at safety. So we're really juggling this, and maybe you want to give us some advice on this. That's a good topic for today because we got to get to work on this. And I'm going away for the 4th of July. I need to know how we're going to do this. So maybe if you want to chime in on Twitter at JT the Brick, do you consider the Raiders all-time team? Like Fred Bolitnikoff is a lock, right? Freddie's a Raider. He played in Canada, but he didn't play for anybody else. Freddie's an all-time Raider. Jerry Rice was better than Fred. He played for the Raiders, and he played in the Super Bowl, and he won an AFC championship, and he played in some big games, 
and he's bleeping Jerry Rice. Do we leave Jerry Rice off the list or do we include him? We're going to nominate him. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to get you to vote, hopefully calling, because i got to wake you up on the phones. You know, I'm a phone. I'm a cold, cold, cold cowboy. I'm a former stockbroker. Got to get you going on the phones. I, as I always said to program directors, I don't need one call a year, not one. I cherish the calls. I love the calls because at least I know someone's out there that will debate me, disagree with me, or agree with me. So, again, we don't have to take one. I got three good football men coming in today. But if you're going to help me out on this issue, we're putting together the all-time greatest Raider team. I think we're going to have two players at every position. Two. Okay, we're not just going to have Art Shell at left tackle. we got to include another one. That's what I think is going to make it a phone topic and pretty good to vote. I, I'm not a big poll question guy, but I'm going to need it here. I'm going to ask you who are the top three centers of all time. I think it's pretty easy, but do you get Barrett Robbins in there? Barrett Robbins was a great player. I mean, he had a really ugly incident happen at the Super Bowl, but he was a great player. You get where I'm going here. And we're going to do a deep dive on the old Raiders, where many of our new listeners in Vegas never heard of. You just never heard of these guys because they played in the 60s. You didn't see them play. But they deserve to be on the list. And we're going to go through all those guys, and we're going to have fun shows. So one day we're going to spend on a third of the offensive line. The next day we're going to finish the offensive line. The next day we're going to go defensive line. Then we're going to go to linebackers, and hopefully you'll tell everybody in the Raider Nation about it. They'll all be involved. And we'll have some pretty good content here for about two or three weeks as we wait for training camp. Because before training camp, we got nothing. We got nothing other than maybe a poll question or two. I think I came up with the best idea. The Raiders all-time team. And it's really hard. And it has to go with fans. Fans don't know. Not everyone knows how great. What do you do with Matuzak and Lyle Alzado? What do you do? Uh, you, you, can't, you have to have Howie Long and Greg Townsend. Greg Townsend led the franchise in sacks. Still does. Linebacker, Matt Millen. He won four Super Bowls. Is he on the list? Do we put Max Crosby on the list? Do we put Max on the list in advance? Do we give one of the receiver slots? I only got four. I only got four. Do I give one to Devontae? You see what I'm going through? I'm telling you, man, I need I need a cocktail. I need a Remy Martin, man. I need something. I'm losing my mind on this. And the guys I've called, I've called a couple of really good friends. Uh, a couple of them are callers to the show. And they said the same thing. They're like, wow, I never thought of this. I go, what do you mean you never thought of this? Because what everybody thinks of the Raiders' all-time team, you want to put only one player at every position. I'm going to do it different. We're going to have two. We, 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 don't, we have to have two players at each position. We're not just going to go across the offensive line and go, you know, Art Shell, Gene Upshaw, Jim Otto. You know, we got to add a player that didn't play, you know, in the 60s or 70s. We got to find a player or two, and we'll talk about them all. We'll talk about all those players, and we'll figure out who gets in. Do you think it's going to be a good idea? I do. Bobby does, and everybody's excited around here that we work with. So the Raiders all-time team, that's going to start here, and Bobby and I are kind of little bickering over the day that should start. I think we're going to start on Thursday the 6th. Thursday, July 6th, and we'll take it up to maybe the 27th, 26th, and we'll go two weeks on it, and then we'll crown their ass. You want to crown them? We're going to crown the all-time team here, and we'll see if we can have some fun with that. But again, you can help me out via Twitter or on the phones and let me know, do you think that the player who's on the Raiders' all-time team, what should be the requirement? Putting on the uniform once is a requirement. You're a Raider. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Right? That's what we've been preaching here. 
Warren Sapp and Richard Seymour were great Raiders. They're in the Hall of Fame. Matuzak and Lyle Alzado are not. There are a lot of other guys not in the Hall of Fame, but Alzado and Matuzak had a better, bigger impact on the history of the Raiders than Warren Sapp and Richard Seymour. So we're going to have to juggle through that, and you're going to help me with that along the way. If you have any ideas today on how we do this, you can help us here. We don't have writers on the show. We don't have directors. We don't have cue cards. So from time to time, we ask for your help, 702-365-9200. We'll tell you about the summer contest copy. So I just tweeted out, we have three football men on the show today that really know their stuff. Vinny Bonsignor. We'll join us next hour. Russell Baxter, the football guru, longtime Hall of Fame insider, really knowledgeable, was Chris Berman and Tom Jackson's right-hand man in research in their heyday. And then Bill Williamson, who's been covering the Raiders longer than anyone I know, anyone I know who's still covering the Raiders. He'll join us here in a little bit. So that's how we're going to open up the show. We're going to keep an eye on some other topics. Uh, clearly, over the next couple of days or the next week, the NBA leads – NBA free agency is the real big story. That's the story. But here's the topic to the monologue brought to you by PTs, the best happy hour in town. Get ready. Zach Whitecloud is coming in for a big signing. I'll be talking about it nonstop. PTs fuels the, mar- uh, the monologue. We got a gambling problem in the NFL. We're Vegas. We're the hub. We got the casinos. We got it all here. We are the hub. And the NFL didn't want to come to Vegas until, for whatever reason, the NFL decided, we want that gambling money. Oh, my God, look at FanDuel. Look at DraftKings. Oh, my God, look at everybody gambling in Vegas. We got to get a piece of it. So they vetted it, and they, I think they realized that the safest gambling in the world is in Las Vegas, Nevada. Most restrictions, the gaming board, most eyeballs on it. You know, you've seen the movie Casino. You've seen it all. There's an eye in the sky everywhere. If you're going to cheat in Vegas, you better be cheating good because they, they'll catch you here. They won't catch you in a suburb of Philadelphia if you have a bookie, and that bookie runs about twelve to $13,000 a football season. They're not looking for that guy. But now what they're looking for is they're looking to trace your phone. Now, I don't believe this, and my wife, fortunately, she's not a conspiracy theorist either. I got a bunch of Alexas in my house for music in the house. Hey, Alexa, play Rush. Hey, Alexa, play Foo Fighters. And that light's always on. And my wife are talking about some backyard uh, furniture. The next thing you know, my Facebook shows up with a bunch of backyard furniture. <laughs> and I'm seeing a bunch of things on my phone. I'm like, who's, lo- oh, maybe that ball in my kitchen that plays the music is listening to me. The NFL, in my opinion, is looking to catch football players who violate the NFL's policy on gambling. Adam Schefter reported today, quote, a handful of NFL players, including Indianapolis Colts cornerback and kick returner Isaiah Rogers, are expected to receive a season-long suspension this week for violating the gambling policy. Rogers is the subject of a league investigation into possible violations of the league's gambling policy, including possible bets placed on the Colts. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, fortunately, you're talking to an expert on this topic because I co-hosted the Pete Rose Show. And Pete's my friend. And reportedly, Pete never bet on the Reds and never bet against the Reds. 
But he was betting on a lot of other things. And the days he didn't bet on the Reds, or excuse me, the day that people were wondering what he was going to do on a game, uh, the bookies wondered and the bookies were listening to Pete, the Dowd report and everything. Well, what happened the days that Pete weren't betting? What did he think of the team? Because Pete never bet against the Reds. He would only bet on that. And if you don't believe that, then you don't know Pete Rose, who a lot of people think is a gambling degenerate. I consider him my friend. He's done a lot for me. But he's a very flawed human being. He's got about as many flaws as anybody, and he'll admit it. So what about the days that Pete didn't bet on the Reds? The bookies said, well, Pete don't have confidence on him today. Let's take the other side. We'll never know. We'll never know the answer to that. What happens in the NFL, if you're a player that bets on your team to win or lose, it could take down the entire league. Because that's how shaving points happen. Guys tip games. Guys talk to bookies about what's happening in the locker room, etc. And it could tear this league down to its bare bones. Hard to do that in a $20 billion league now that's international, playing games in Germany. Can't even get tickets. They sold out in five minutes. And all these other stories. But gambling is a big topic here. I don't think most of our audience and those who are kind enough to listen care about the NFL much. Now, y'all think they're hypocrites, right? They kept... They kept gambling out of the sport in Vegas forever, and now they wanted to get the greed of the money, and now all of a sudden a couple of players are betting, and they got a problem on their hand. The NFL said last week that it planned to reinforce its gambling policy to players. All rookies will now be required to attend the mandatory uh, education sessions, which is great, and officials are going to make personal visits to team facilities to emphasize this, clarify the activities that are prohibited. Here are the six rules, right? We have the Ten Commandments. Mount Rushmore has four presidents. Here are the new six key rules of the NFL gambling. Number one, don't bet on the NFL. Let's start there. If you're a player, if you're an executive, you work for an NFL team, and you bet on the NFL, you're done. So don't tell me about where you're in Vegas, you had a ticket, this or that. You bet on the league, you're done. That's number one rule. That's the big one. Number two, don't gamble at your team facility while traveling for a road game or staying at a team hotel. I think this is a big one. I think this is a huge one. I think that there are some players who are dumb. They're not smart. They're not educated. They didn't get a great education in high school and college, and they can't figure out that when they're on the team bus or when they land in another city and they get to the team hotel that their app on their phone is active and the NFL can figure it out. I think that's going to trip up a lot of players. Number three, don't have someone bet for you. Let's talk about that. That means someone's going to get caught betting for you, and that guy's going to rat your ass out because this is the FBI. Okay, this isn't someone coming up to you going, can we talk a minute? I work in the cage at the Mirage. Can I? No, this is the FBI and the league coming to someone saying, we caught you red-handed, we think you were betting for this tight end, and that guy will rat you out every time. That's number three. Number four, don't share team inside information. Ooh, ooh, what does that mean? Well, quarterback's over there limping. Uh, That guy's in the tub. Uh, That guy didn't practice, and he hasn't been at meetings because he's seeing the doctor. It's more serious. Don't share inside information, including plays, your playbook, anything that could tip the information to the bent noses and Las Vegas and the way they set the odds. Number five, don't enter a sports book during the NFL playing season. Yeah, probably a good idea, Bobby. I think most of the guys realize that. They don't have any time off other than the bye week, and most guys 
even if they come to Vegas on the bye week, will not be in the sports book. They'll be at the strip club. They'll be at the nightclub. They'll be somewhere else. They're not going to be there. But they put it in there. And number six, don't play fantasy football. I don't know what that is to the point of the gambling on fantasy football. I don't think you could be in a big league and gambling on that. So those are the six rules. Four Detroit Lion players and one Washington Commander player were suspended by the NFL for gambling violations. So that's where we're hitting here. That's where we're at now in 2023. That's a good topic for you today. As an NFL fan, how many, how many of these guys do you think are going to get caught? You say a dozen? I think that's probably the number because I think that's where they're at now. They already got five or six players, and they're claiming that they threw the net out and caught a bunch more. It would be a crying shame if this happened in Las Vegas. It'd be a crying shame with everything that I see behind the scenes and the education the Raiders give to their players if a Raider ever shows up on this list. I mean, you come to Las Vegas, by the time they pick you up at the airport, they told you the rules. Believe me, before the SUV pulls up in Henderson, you know the rules. They're pretty tight on that. So that's an important topic as we open up the show. I'd like your opinion on that. Again, I'm not talking to myself. If you're a gambler, if you're a sports gambler, do you believe these football players can stay away from this, or do you think they'll get tripped up? The league is watching. I think the league is watching closely because of telephone technology, cellular technology, and the ability to catch these guys in traps I mean, there are some players who are stupid enough to sign up for some of these offers at some of these phone websites and and sign up and bet money. That's going to be pretty easy for the league going forward here. And I don't know anything. I'm not saying there's another player that I know of, but Adam Schefter reported today that it's coming. All right, second thing I'm going to mention today is something I normally never do. Not ordinarily do, but I never do. As I've told you, if you're a listener to this show, the thing that I I think my number one job is to report on what the Raiders are doing, positively or negatively, but also report on what the Raiders, what I hear is being said in the media about the Raiders, which is typically negative. So today, when I get up in the morning, I have a routine. I read 10 newspapers. It's a crutch. I do it online. And then I put on sports radio in the background. Most of my prep is always done by watching sports or listening to sports radio. So today in my house, uh, Colin Coward was on, and I normally don't mention him by name. Uh, I worked at Fox for 17 and a half years. I think he's been there eight or nine. And clearly, so this isn't taken out of context, he has probably the most successful show in sports radio. McAfee just arrived. They're trying to figure that out. But Colin has had literally the most successful show in sports radio. So it's on in the background, and I'm there. And all of a sudden, I look up, and I see the Raider logo. I say, what was this? So I had to go back and rewind live, and I listened to him. And he started off, he came out of a segment talking about he's the son of divorced parents and he doesn't like chaos in his life. And he made this really deep, elaborate divorce, divorce analogy about his life and loud parents arguing, and he didn't like chaos, and he doesn't like chaos again. Divorce, divorce, divorce. I've been divorced. He's divorced. In the past. So he's doing this analogy, and I didn't know where it was going. But the Raider logo was up. I said, Oh, this is going to be good. Where is this going? And he basically pivoted and talked about the chaos of the Raiders. He called the Raiders a mess. He said they're a volcano with a logo. And the whole comparison was his youth of his parents being divorced 
all the way through his life as a divorced dad and remarried dad and then tying it into the writers. And I'm like, wow, this is a reach. And I've said it was all about therapy. And I don't know if you go to therapy or not. I've never been to therapy. Maybe I should. But if I did go to therapy, I would never mention it on this show, maybe on a podcast, because I don't have enough time to. I got two hours and then three at night to talk about sports, not my personal life. My parents have never been divorced. They're still alive in their mid-80s. I think I've had a really good life. And if I didn't have a very, very good life, you would not hear about it on my radio show. I try to tell you the cool things I do. My kid graduated college. Hey, I'm doing this or that. So I'm sitting here, and it tied all into the fact that Josh Jacobs could be holding out because no one can cite the person that's saying he could hold out. And he might not play week one against Denver. And the segment before, ironically, was all about how Denver is going to be great this year. We've heard that story before, right? So I go from Denver being great, where the Raiders have beat Denver the last six out of seven games, to an analogy on divorce, therapy, going to therapy, and then connecting it to the Raiders. I said, man, that's why the guy probably has the most successful show in sports radio. He's willing to give up his personal life and divorce and therapy. But why is he including us in the Raider Nation? I don't know. I think it's easy to relatable. There's a lot of people divorced, come from divorced families, which is fine. But we're going to relate that to the Raiders. So by tying it up, he basically said Devontae Adams came from a really stable environment, is coming to chaos, calling the Raiders chaos. Go ask Devontae when you're at Chef Barry's Steakhouse or when you see him teeing off at TPC Summerlin. Walk up to Devontae and ask him if his life is chaos right now. See what he says, okay? And the fact that Josh Jacobs here, this could be just a mess as he referred it to. So I just wanted to tie that in a bow. That is JT's. Current example of Raider bashing, and I just decided I would tell you that in the monologue. This is a hell of a monologue, by the way. Got everything in here. So, again, every day of my life in sports media, every day, is defending the Raiders. Whenever it ends, I'll tip my cap to everyone. I don't need a juice box. I don't need a banner. I'll say that's my legacy. It's a small one, but it means something to me. Every day, I defend the Raiders. From a guy who didn't grow up a Raider fan in Long Island, New York, was brought into the Raider family. It changed my life for the positive. Gave me a career, a second or third career. It gives me great joy. Very proud to be associated with that. And every stinking day I wake up, no matter what I turn on, there's someone bashing the Raiders. At times, rightfully so, for their record. Six wins from ten. Fair enough. But to say there's chaos? That's one thing I can report on. It's so bleeping quiet over there as everyone's on vacation. Max, Mad Max has an event there, raising more money, fanatics, giveaway and all that. Jimmy G, one of the coolest new guys I've met, been hanging out with Michael Mayer a lot. No chaos. Everyone's cool. Everyone thinks the team's pretty good. They're getting ready to get to work. But you turn on ESPN, NFL Network, Fox Sports 1, the radio, and it's constant Raider bashing. And I don't think you stand up for yourself very good. I don't think you do. I don't think you stand up for yourself very good when it comes to media. You got a flagship station here. You got, you got people in the media that you can get in touch with on Twitter and Facebook and others. And I think the Raider on Raider crime amongst Raider fans beating each other up 
is at an all-time high. I mean, this will be my 25th year from the team. I've never seen it like this. And Dave Ziegler's a great guy. I've been telling you Josh McDaniels is a great guy. Told you Gruden was a great guy. Mayock was a great guy. All good people. Every regime. I've gotten along with everyone because they're all trying to win games. I can't predict who's going to win games, but I'm getting damn good at predicting who's going to bash the hell out of your logo, your team, and your life. And you got to put an end to it, man. You got to do something about it. It's like you're getting bullied in a playground. And you're getting beat up and down the radio dial and on TV. And Raider Nation needs to stand up. That's the monologue brought to you by our great friends at M Resort Spawn Casino. Head on out to the Raiders Tavern and Grill. Heading into training camp, you never know. You might be walking around. You'll see Raider alumni. Do you know how many Raider players, Raider alumni, Raider brass? If you're a Raider fan, the M Resort Spawn Casino is your place to go to get your Raider vibe on. If you're looking for a great room, their pools is outstanding. Their restaurants are amazing. You can get your Vegas Golden Night bar scene on with that brand new bar there in the middle, and the rooms are second to none. The M Resort Spawn Casino, proud partner of our show. All right, we open up the phones to you, see if you can react to the monologue. If not, I'll row, 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 row your boat down the road. But Raider Nation, unite, as I've always said. Let's hear from you. Let's hear what you have to say. And when people are calling out your brand, are you ready to come to the defense? Or are you just going to sit back and watch on the flagship of the Silver and Black? I have so many friends over there, and I, I want them to succeed. You know, uh, I want Jimmy to be healthy. I want him to play great. You know, because that, that helps Devonte. You know, I want it helps Max. It helps you know Josh Jacobs. It helps all my friends, Colton, Andre. You know, I, I just, I'm gonna stop naming names because someone will get upset. You know, but I, all my friends, you know, over there that I just want them to have success. You know, that's all I was ever trying to do was give my best so they could win, and and I want that so bad for them. You know, I want them to feel feel that love of the game again I want them to feel that excitement of the game again you know and I want it to even in the hard times I want them to gel together come together and say you know it's gonna be all right and move on and keep it pushing you know and I and I wish that for them and I, I hope the best for them but I'm focused on our team you know I'm focused on the thing that matters the most to me is that the Saints win you know and uh, you know like I want my friends to have success and I don't want them to have hard times but I still want the Saints to win a little more all right, so Derek Carr's in the news again. JT, back with you as we continue. Brought to you by Modelo, the fighting spirit of Modelo. And uh, when you hear me say Modelo, you're going to be hearing a lot about Jim Plunkett coming up, teasing ahead to that. Uh, we'll get back to that. Uh, real quickly on Derek, I don't want to get down in the fray in all this. I know other shows and podcasts are. And there's a lot of social media now attacking Derek and other Raider fans coming to his defense. He said it made his wife cry and all that. Look, I don't know what to tell you. I was with him the day he signed his extension. His wife was in studio with us. I never saw a classier woman smile with her kids. She's a great mom, a great wife from everything I can see. Uh, Derek's talking a little bit. I think that was in Fresno, if I'm right. And he's going to be talking. I think this is the end of Derek talking about this anymore because he's getting a lot of pushback on his exit here, and we, we knew this was going to happen with Derek. It was going to take time for him to let this out because he loved being a Raider, loved being in the Raider, Raiders quarterback, and never wanted to play for anybody else. And I think he was pretty sincere about that until the way it all ended here. 
I support the way it ended in theory. I would have loved to have seen him play the last two games. I think he deserved to, but there was a clause if he got injured, the Raiders were on the hook for the full guarantee. You know, that $40 million, the Raiders didn't want to go down that road. They didn't want to have him as their quarterback again, let alone have to own that contract and move that contract, which no one was going to take at that price, and they wanted to go in another direction. So that is a topic that's going to be talked about for a very long time. And Derek's going to have a really good chance to win in New Orleans. He's going to have an easier path than the FC West. So get used to Derek winning some games and some people saying, man, look, Derek looks like he's doing well now that he left Vegas. Well, he went to a team that's in a division where you have a better chance to win than you do in the AFC West. I mean, Derek has a better chance to win in New Orleans than Justin Herbert does or even Russell Wilson has in the AFC West. He's in an easier division. But for those who are trying to jump into this fray and jump into these Twitter polls about cars, this or that, leave it alone. You know what Derek meant to the team. Once a Raider, always a Raider. He was a really good player for a long period of time for this team. And there were some ups and downs along the way. Lost a lot of games. He turned the ball over a lot. But he put the team in a position to win. I'm moving on. I've moved on. But it's all over. When, when the NFL, NFL.com had that, that as the second biggest story yesterday. His comments on this because it's part of the offseason commentary. Another big story today as we jump in, it's the 26-year anniversary of Bite Night, Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, which I was ringside for that, and I will define that for the rest of my life as a Mount Rushmore, one of the top four sports moments of my life. If you haven't heard the story, I'll keep it brief, but that fight was right here in Las Vegas, and it was the most anticipated fight I've ever seen at the MGM Grand even since, and there's been some monster fights. But if you weren't there for that fight Saturday, June 28th, in that year of 1997, you I don't remember Vegas ever being that much on edge. Going into the lobby of the MGM Grand that night, you feared, not for your life, you clearly feared for your safety going in. There were so many people, unwarranted people, in that lobby, around that lobby, and they don't have the security like they have today. I can tell you that. And walking into that fight, I don't even remember the undercard. I don't. But I had a really good seat. I was about 15 rows back. That's when sitting ringside was sitting ringside. And a couple of the key memories I have that night is I was supposed to come on the radio right after with Steve Cofield, who's here on our sister station, in the sports book of the MGM Grand. That was my assignment, to go to the fight, and then to go on the air nationally for Sports Fan Radio Network and report on the fight. So we get into the fight, and I've never seen that many women in dresses and high heels. I mean, everyone he dressed for success that night. Suits, sports coats, everybody was dressed. The women were dressed up like they were going to the Academy Awards. And that walk into the MGM, you had your head on a swivel because there were some people there that you looked at that were not there for the fight. They were there to cause chaos. So when Holyfield came out, he came out, I believe, to some type of gospel music. I've never seen a fighter had his hands in the air. He was looking towards God. He was so at peace and smiling. He knew he had that fight walking in. He was the better fighter in the rivalry because he knew how to beat Tyson. No one ever knew how to beat Tyson. Tyson put the fight away in the first 10 seconds in the stare down. And Holyfield Walked into that ring again like he was touched by God. 
like he was praying to God. And then Tyson came in and again walked in like a lion that was just about to be left off his leash. Then the fight starts, as we all know what happens. Uh, the headbutting. Yeah, you know why Tyson was mad? He should have been mad. Holyfield headbutted him. And Holyfield was coming forward with his head down, and it really bothered Tyson because they fought seven months earlier in Vegas, and Tyson talked about it. Tyson was making his first defense of the WAA championship he won from Bruce Selden in a first-round knockout. And Holyfield, despite being a former champion, was a big underdog entering the match because everyone in gamblers love Mike Tyson. But Holyfield controlled Tyson. You know, we knew what was going to happen coming into this fight. And then in this fight, when the bite happened, and I noticed there was some chaos, Mark Ratner here came to the side to talk to Mills Lane. When they finally let them the fight go on after the headbutt and Tyson trying to bite him, and then when the real bite happened and they came to the middle of the ring and talked about it, and then they ended the fight, Holyfield leapt into the air in pain. He spun around in a circle, bleeding all over the place from a bite wound. And when Mills Lane stopped the fight, Tyson rushed Holyfield from behind and shoved him in the corner. Then they were separated. Tyson went to the neutral corner and then went back to check on Holyfield. That's when it was over. The fight was delayed for the next few minutes. Lane was trying to figure out what to do. Mark Ratner, who I see all the time at Raider Games, who's the chairman of the Nevada Athletic Commission, was up on the ring apron and informed him that because Tyson had bitten Holyfield's ear, he was going to disqualify him. When that happened, I didn't fear for my life, but then a bomb kind of felt like it went off in the place. And then there was a melee in the ring. So again, I'm about 15 rows back, which is pretty close. And I looked behind me to the MGM bleachers and I saw a woman sliding face first in a dress, face first down the bleachers. And I said, oh, my God, what's going on here? And then when they broke up Tyson and tried to control him, he was on the outside of the apron, the outside of the ropes, and he came over to the sports media, and he just stared at us all. He's staring directly above our heads, and you can see his eyes were inflamed. He was in some type of shock at that point. And to wrap up the story quickly, I found my way to the exit. I kicked the door open. I went outside. I came back in to the MGM Grand. And I found my way to the sports book, and people were running in the sports book. Chaos. You know, it's like that scene in the Titanic when the water breaks into the Titanic and everything's just getting thrown around. People are getting thrown around all over the place. Fact, not fiction. I got to the set with Steve Cofield. I grabbed this headset to come on, and we were talking, and all of a sudden, three young ladies came and dove under our desk where we were broadcasting. And we said, what's going on? And we looked to our left, and we just saw a sea of people coming at us like a wave of water. And we all took off our headsets, and I said, I'm gone. And go to break, and I ended up walking from the MGM to the Hard Rock. And I've never seen that many police cars in my life at the MGM. They were coming from all over the valley. There were so many cops there already. And best part of that story was the next day, Tyson, my buddy, was leaving the overnight shift at the Hard Rock at 6 in the morning, and he went past Tyson's mansion, and Tyson came out with no shirt on with his Harley, no shirt on, still in that rage, driving off, driving off into Las Vegas. It's all in my book, The Handoff. It was one of the most unique, terrible, fascinating, incredible sports nights of my life. That happened 26 years ago tonight.
at the MGM Grand. When we come back, Bill Williamson will join us, Raider Insider. Been writing about the Raiders for a long time. We'll get his opinion on Josh Jacobs and the contract situation. What he suggests should happen. What his gut tells you what could happen. Bill knows a lot and has a lot of sources. We'll talk about the Raider roster ahead of training camp. When we continue, brought to you by the DeCastaverde Law Group. If you get into an accident, 702-222-9999. I guarantee you they'll help you. Doesn't the deadline is not until July? So again, uh, I, I respect everything about that process. I this is not the first time that you know that's happened in terms of me being a part of that. So um, you know, I, like I said, I stand by what I said before. Love the kid, love the player, love the person, and um, look forward to when I see him. Josh McDaniels, as we're talking about Josh Jacobs, JT, back with you. Brought to you by Resorts World. Head on out to Doghouse Saloon. That's their sports bar where the sports book is, and they put a lot of country music content on stage there. You'll love it. If you're looking for a place to watch sports, head on out to Resorts World. I think you'll really enjoy the Doghouse Saloon. Bill Williamson joining us, been covering the Raiders for a long time, now with SB Nation, NFL writer for 27 straight seasons. And, Bill, what level of concern should Raider fans have with the deadline approaching for Josh Jacobs? Yeah, JT, that's, you know, it's a very to-the-point question, and, and I don't know, I think certainly some, I, I think the concern started when he wasn't at mandatory minicamp, that, yes, it was expected, but it was still an act of missing something, you know, mandatory. Now, technically, he's not on the roster because he hasn't signed his franchise tag, so he can't be fined or anything, but certainly... That you know, I mean, he, he is a player who is expected to be a big part of this offense this year. So the fact that he wasn't there started the concern, and then the next. Now that it's it, this is all about dates mm-hmm. and steps at this point. You know, the next step is the 17th of July, and that's the deadline for franchise tag players to sign their contract, uh, to sign a long-term contract this year. If mm-hmm. not, they just play on the franchise tag. Yeah, from and a me- lot of people have speculated if he doesn't sign that contract extension by the 17th of July, which is 19 days away, that may trigger a holdout from training camp and into the season. In fact, Tom Pericero of mm-hmm. NFL Media yesterday, kind of it was a report slash you know speculation that hey, this guy this could go into the regular season if if he doesn't sign that contract extension so that's that's the dates we really should focus on the 17th of july and then today we found out july 25th is reporting date for training camp so if he is unsigned and right now it kind of looks likely anything can happen but it kind of looks likely that he won't get a contract extension done by then again anything's possible then you say okay is he going to be at training camp and if he's not at training camp and then it's a daily question, and then it starts reminding folks of the Khalil Max issue five years ago with the previous regime. A little different because he wasn't, it wasn't a franchise tag deal, but it was a player who wanted a contract extension, and we all know how that ended. So once those, those floodgates start and those deadlines are passed, 
then you get concerned and and things crazy things become more likely. Yeah, Bill Williamson joins us. Crazy things could happen. It's the NFL and contracts matter and players have agents and agents know how to grandstand and GMs want to get certain things out of it. I, one of the things about Josh Bill is I didn't think he was going to have that year last year. I just keep reminding everybody I was in Canton for Cliff Branch, and he ended up suiting up and playing in that game. And I said, that doesn't look good for him playing no. in this game. And they were doing – something was going on there. At least they wanted to get a look at him. And then he has one of the greatest years in Raider history in all of your years of covering the team. And I'm talking Marcus Allen even before that. Have you ever seen something more unique than that where he suited up and played in the first preseason game, the early one, then he leads the league in rushing, and people were wondering if he was going to be here or not. Yes, certainly. I mean, there were, there were again, talk about level. That began during last year's draft when, you know, it was announced that they weren't going to give him the fifth-year option. And then the very next day they signed, they, they drafted Zamir White in the fourth round. So it's like, okay, this happened yesterday, this happened today. This is going to be Josh Jacobs' last year as a Raider, right? And then we go to Canton and everybody. That was a national story because you're looking for stories in games like that, and that was a very obvious natural, national story, is why is this guy playing and nobody else is? And, and then he, he deserves a lot of credit for what he did because, you know, that he got, quote, disrespected. You know, by not getting the option, it showed his team was just thinking about him for, you know, a one year at a time. And then he went out and, and did what he did, and, and he was just so tough last year. And every play, he was just so driven, and he was durable, and that was the question about him. And, and just there was just a lot of toughness and grit every time that guy touched the ball. Yeah, he was fantastic. Bill, where do you stand now on the, dif- the difference between Jacoby Myers and Hunter Renfro? Let's assume for the positives that they're both here. You got two slot receivers. I think Jacoby can do more than Hunter on the outside, but we've both seen Hunter do a lot downfield. I mean, getting behind safeties and making plays. How do you see to see them fitting in with Devontae, knowing how many touches Devontae's going to get? Who do you think would have the bigger edge if they both started week one? Jacoby, more familiar with the system, or Hunter, who's had a bigger year two years ago than Jacoby Myers ever had? But really, I think it goes right down to the coach. And we've talked about this before at the quarterback position, that is Derek Carr maybe more talented than Jimmy Garoppolo? Probably. You can argue, but probably. But if Josh McDaniel thinks Jimmy Garoppolo is a better fit for his offense, that's all that matters. And you can say the same thing about Myers and Renfro, is if the coach is more comfortable with it, and, and this is a coach who has proven over the years that people who fit his system are very important to him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what, good or bad, better or worse, that's important to him. So if he feels that he can get more out of Myers than Renfro, and there's certainly signs of that because he brought the guy in, then you say, well, okay, show it, guys. Show us that Garoppolo is a better fit for this offense. Show us that Myers is a better fit for this offense than Renfro and, and go win games. And and then, you know, that's – so we can argue all this and, and we can critique and we certainly will as we see because we will find out the answers. But, I, you know, if the coach is more comfortable with these guys, it really doesn't matter what we think at this point. 
Bill Williamson, SB Nation, covers the Raiders as good as anybody. So I'll, I'll probably be talking to you right at camp or right before camp. Tell me about Divine Diablo. He's a mystery to me. A lot of people are writing about him. PFF, other storylines are out there. He could have the breakout year. He could have the green dot. He can do this or that. What are your expectations for Diablo? I like him as an athlete, and I like a couple of these new guys they drafted, especially Christopher Smith, what he could do the second. He looks like a player. There's guys like Malcolm Kuntz, who was here from the former regime, athletically looked gifted at times. But I'm fascinated with Diablo. If he's going to be here let alone have a green dot, he better be better. I'm talking sideline to sideline, in coverage and all of that. What are your expectations of him? Well, you know, I hate this time of year because we all have to fill stuff every day, and that's yeah. where these, all these rankings and titles and X-Factors and breakout and all this crap, you know? But the thing about him is that we just talked about systems and he was drafted by the previous regime and looked pretty good when he got a chance as a rookie, right? Then last year, he played good for a new defense. So this isn't, you know, Josh McDaniels and, you know, the the Patriots' way. That's been, we've accused them of things and making decisions that may be just based on that too much. But him saying, I'm very fond of Divine a few weeks ago, this is a guy that he inherited. And I think that's important because he really, this is, they think he's a good football player that fits their system and they're not looking to replace him. And he, when he got hurt last year, it was a forearm, I believe. He was sixth in the NFL with 73 tackles, and he was getting the job done. And he is wearing the green uh, dot so far. And, I, yeah, I think he's a guy who could be one of their better players. Is he going to be a, a superstar elite player at his position? I don't know, but I think he's a guy that is not going to hurt you and, and, and can be a plus for the unit, and that this is a unit that needs a lot of plus players. So I think he's a guy that you do get excited about. Now you've been doing this a long time. A lot of guys take time off this time of year, not only media, but football players and coaches. What do you think about this point in the calendar, especially now in Vegas compared to Oakland, L.A., and Napa? As far as what? You know, we got big weather now heating up, and then it's the calm before the storm. As you said, everybody's just looking for content. There really isn't much. And then it yeah, explodes I, on us with know, training camp. What do you do? What do you do the weeks or two in your career leading up to training camp? Well, you know, you get a blow. I took a week off here two weeks ago. You, you, you do try to get creative with coverage, and you're doing a lot of lists and rankings mm-hmm. and things. And, you know, it's for, for the coaches, I know the time is, hey, this is their real chunk to get some time away, players and coaches. And as coaches, you worry about your players mm-hmm. just don't get in trouble, you know. And then we're less than four weeks away from this thing, so it, it, it's coming. But, you know, I think rest is important for everybody. And if there is a little slow time for players, coaches, and media, and whoever, that's okay, you know, because most of the time it's not slow. So, yeah, yeah, it it may not be very exciting right now, but it's, you know, a necessary part of it all. Absolutely. Good to talk to you, Bill. Enjoy a little bit of downtime before we kick it off for training camp. Always appreciate you. Look forward to it. Thanks, JJ. You got it, Bill Williamson. Thanks a lot for him coming on. You know, he just said it, too. Coaches need vacation. They work extremely hard. Now, they get a lot of money. A lot of people don't understand that. Coaches, now the average coach can make $10 million, 8 to $10 million or more. So they need time with their families to get away. They have to get away and get ready for this. But how many coaches truly get away to the point where they are not on the phones with their GMs and talking to their assistants? I don't know that world. 
but this is the time where coaches and executives need a little bit of a break before it ramps up, and it's all business all the time, and you got to win games. One hour uh, down, one more to go. Vinny Bonsignor will join us next hour. We're excited to talk to him. And, uh, yes, Russell Baxter, the football guru. How could I forget that? He's great. We'll talk about Canton, Ohio. Freddie Belitnikoff's going back for his 35-year anniversary. And this class, I think some people have a problem with it. I don't. Some good players getting in. Joe Klecko, Revis Island, some of the big names. We'll get into that with Russell Baxter coming up in about 10 minutes.